In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. Listeners, you're listening to Voice of Islam Radio, which is broadcasting from the biggest mosque of UK. And as you know, Voice of Islam Radio is basically introducing the true teachings of Islam here in the Western society. And it's basically explaining how we can integrate in the Western society as well. Dear listeners, I hope you had a pleasant weekend or you're having a pleasant weekend right now. My name is Shahil Munir Ahmed and I'm joined here with my brother and friend Asim. Asim. Good morning, Asalaamu Alaikum. How are you doing? Good morning, Asalaamu Alaikum. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, I'm good. And you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Dear listeners, I hope you're doing very well as well. I hope you're having your breakfast, which is the most important meal of a day. Awesome. You start always with the most important thing in a day. Absolutely. Definitely. Having a coffee, having like, I don't know, bread, eggs. Personally, I can't survive without it. You can't? No. Yeah. no what, about, what about coffee? No, not a coffee fan. Definitely not. I, I like tea. Tea? Tea Tea is a must in the morning. What is it like? It is Pakistani, Indian tea? Yeah, it's, it's called Pakistani. Chai. Chai is uh, tea bags, milk, sugar. Hot water. Uh, hot water. Maybe hot water sometimes, maybe not. Oh, really? And some cardamom to get some flavor in it. How, how many times do you drink chai in a day? Uh, one is a minimum in the morning mm. and depends on the day, maybe in the afternoon as you well. You know, that's a very shocking story, dear listeners. Nassim, I have to share it with you as well. Absolutely. It's about chai. Let's go for it. Dear listeners, um, if you have brought up in a, this society, of Pakistani Indian society, or let's say this Pakistani Indian, Bangladeshi and Sri Lankan society, you would you would know chai. So as Asim has described, this is something which you have with boiled water, milk and a tea bag. And um, sugar as well. And in normal society, wherever you go, the first thing they will ask, which is good, <laughs> I like that. They ask you about how much sugar do you want to do you want to have in the chai. And now the shocking story is, if someone like from this society doesn't drink chai, these people are very shocked and like surprised at how is it possible that being a Pakistani or Indian, you don't drink chai. Now, it's like kind of shocking thing for them because, you know, I'm not a chai drinker. Oh, you're not? No, I okay. can see you from your face yeah. now. Right? <laughs> How is this even possible? <laughs> but it is. It is. I don't... No, I mean, I, I, get, I guess you get a few, just a few people who, like, don't drink chai, but... Yeah, um, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, like, from the last, let's say, 15 years of experiencing, of rejecting chai, I've just known, like, four or five people Mm-hmm. who are in the same boat like me yeah, and just, just they say the same people, thing yeah, like yeah. it is shocking for the people when they find out oh he's not drinking chai right and uh, you know now the problem is so one day I'm going to convert you to a chai yeah. person <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that no, 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 no the problem is you know you go to someone and normally they would ask you what do you want to have as a drink but or they would say oh do you want chai yeah, no, first they, they, thing do you want chai they don't even know, know they skip this thing as well they say oh, okay. how many sugars do you want oh, okay. and I'm like you didn't even ask me <laughs> maybe I want something different like coffee water. and uh, as you can see even that uh, a vast majority of uh, Pakistani Indian they don't drink coffee as well yes see so, so this is like person. this is where they start and asking people, me yeah. are, you, are you even Pakistani I'm not Pakistani I'm sorry so this is like you know this is a shocking thing for them and uh, I have to always go through that I'm struggling a lot explaining people in the beginning that please don't make any chai for me 
uh, I'm good with water. You know, in the mosque, we have chai uh, uh, in the afternoon. And they they know already my, of me that I don't drink chai, so they don't they won't make any chai for me. So what do you have in the morning? In the morning, to be honest, I had water. And water. Nothing. More. No, no hot drink, no coffee, nothing. No hot drink, no cold drink, just water. And this was, this was literally enough for me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, one other thing, I actually do have a breakfast at after ten o'clock, not before that. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I guess we can also say that anything which uh, you are, like you have to drink, it, sh- it shouldn't be done. Like uh, some people, you know, can't live without chai. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, which, uh, is, which is wrong a bit. I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. Um, but I can. Okay. I can live without it. So, <laughs> yeah, no, this is something I ha- thought I should share. Um, not a very shocking thing is that, um, and this is from... Um, the uh, maj- uh, the British majority of people mm-hmm. from the British society when they talk about cricket and they think that because being a Pakistani I must be an expert oh, yeah, on that yeah, yeah, yeah. and I say oh, sorry I'm not following cricket and they say really? <laughs> are you even a Pakistani? I say yes that's the second shocking thing and uh, which I sometimes do struggle but I, I, I accept that as okay it's not a big issue but anyhow dear listeners uh, I'm, I hope you're enjoying your chai coffee um while enjoying your breakfast uh, we will make sure that you also enjoy today's show um Hassan, for the benefit of our listeners what are the two topics we have prepared today absolutely so the first topic which we are going to discuss is why prote- protests are happening amidst a major libyan flood crisis and we will have some interesting callers calling in and explaining uh, different angles and uh, the second topic is the need for religion, where we also have some callers calling in. And, and dear listeners, for the first topic, we will also have a doctor. Absolutely. Who will, he's the chairman of the Humanity First UK. We will also explain what Humanity First UK is. We will also have uh, someone from the National Flood Forum. And, uh, of course, uh, also from Action Against Hunger's country direct director for Libya, who will also join in the first segment. And in the second segment, we will have, again, a doctor who will explain us the reason why he has converted to Ahmadiyat, the Ahmadiyat Muslim community. And uh, so, as I said, dear listeners, we're going to make sure that you enjoy this today's show. Um, before we go to the first segment, Asim, let's see what are the headlines of today's pages so dear listeners if you haven't read the newspaper today um yes you know the she's next conservative party conference speech dominates thursday's front pages and with the eye claiming the prime minister rounded on his predecessors and 13 years of tory rule by pledging to end 30 years of political status quo now dear listeners the paper says mr sunak who was elected as an MP in 2015, used his speech to position himself as the politician to deliver change for the UK, with plans such as phasing out smoking and scrapping A-levels. And alongside an image of the Prime Minister with his wife, Ash, sorry, Akshata Murthy, who, who introduced her husband to the stage before he gave his speech, the Times agreed that Mr. Sunak gambled his premiership by setting himself against his recent Tory predecessors. 
There's a separate report on the government's new plan to phase out smoking by raising the age of sale each year, which Mr. Sunak said would save more lives than any other decision would, we could take. And the uh, Metro phase have also, um, if in the front page of the Metro you could see Rishi Sunak waving w alongside with his wife, and it says, I'm on track for victory. Um, as the major take on Mr. Snug's speech, which alongside another image of the Prime Minister, sets out his key policy announcement, including confirmation that the second phase of HS2 will be scrapped elsewhere. There's an interview with TV presenter AJ Odudu, who is about to host the return of reality show Big Brother. Have you ever watched Big Brother? No, not a fan. Not a fan. I used to be, but then suddenly I stopped. Um, coming to the Daily Telegraph, dear listeners, it also leads on Mr. Snuck's making huge decision to change Britain, adding that he used his first conference speech to try to rebrand himself as a force for change in British politics. Responding to the PM's announcement that some of HS2 has been scrapped, the paper's cartoonist Matt Bridges has drawn someone suggesting that, to their friend that the way to stop conservative quitting infrastructure projects is to stop them taking any up in the first place. And we see another image of the Prime Minister giving the thumbs up and his wife waving to conservative conference attendees sits on the Guardian's front page. The paper claims Mr. Snark has a Tory civil war, has started a Tory civil war by declaring he is a change candidate. Former PM David Cameron led to criticism of the HS2 It reports by accusing Mr. Sunak of throwing away 15 years of cross-party consensus sustained over six administrations. Now, um, the Daily Mirror sums up everything by saying that PM's great portrayal and train wreck is basically summing up. Uh, they say that this has summed up his keynote speech, specifically the announcement on HS2, it claims Mr. Sunak by confirming there will be no high-speed rail from the West Midlands to Manchester, has condemned the north of England to a future of decline. Now, the listeners, even the Financial Times similarly leads on the HS2 announcement and lays out Mr. Sunak bids to reinvest the 36 billion saved into better valued road, rail and bus projects, including links between northern cities. The business paper also has a report about Metro Bank allegedly being in talks to raise hundreds of millions of pounds from investors. Coming to the Daily Mail, Mr. Sunak's speech is hailed by the Daily Mail as a common sense revolution, which a paper claiming Wednesday was the day the Prime Minister gave Tories a reason to believe and he can save us from Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer's workery. This is what? The Daily Mail is saying, now, among other snippets of his speech, the paper picks up on Mr. Snuck's assertion that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, a reference to his party's stance on the rights of transgender people. Now, the Daily Express sums also uh, sums out the speech by saying game changer, alongside yet another image of Mr. Snuck and his wife, wife on stage of the conference. The policies he announced are a bid to fix Britain which is what he adds. And uh, again, Mr. Sunak gets a nod of the front page of the Sun's Thursday issue, but its, focus, it, but its focus is on what it calls the bonkers, new threat to, 
2030 Men's Football World Cup will be held across six countries in three continents. Spain, Portugal and Morocco have been named as the co-hosts, with the opening three matches taking place in Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay. Wow, okay, for those who are willing to watch the matches, um, it's going to be very expensive though if you want to travel in three uh, different continents and six different countries to watch the matches. Absolutely. I mean, it's the first time that it's happening in six different countries and it's in three different continents. So you see it, more it about would, the world. Yeah, I mean, but if you want to travel from Morocco to Spain, it's it's still all right. Even yeah, but to if Portugal. you want to travel to Uruguay to Morocco, yeah, then that's something different. That's a that's a mission. That's gonna be a mission. Um, let's but see. But I guess for football fans, this is nothing. Yeah, well, for for the for the hardcore football fans, yeah, of yeah. course, they would do everything exactly, because yeah. there are people who watch every match exactly. and they would do, literally do everything to watch. Yeah. This is like a mission for them. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back to Daily Stars, um, Daily Stars front pages focus on this, on some Tesco supermarkets deciding to put security tags on bog roll to stop them being snapped by thieves. Now they say we have really hit the skids, and it's the paper assessment on the situation now. And dear listeners, uh, this is what if you start reading uh, the news, oh sorry, the the, the papers you will see in the front page mostly the prime minister about his speech. Um, Asim, we have talked this already before the show about football, about Newcastle and PSG. Oh yes. What yes. happened yesterday? What what's you? Um, it's uh, very it's very difficult to explain what happened. Oh really? Is it? Um, make it easy for us. <laughs> All right, let's make it easy for. But before business. you start, maybe explain. Uh, I know you are a hardcore Chelsea fan, <laughs> so do do explain us what is happening. Uh, do they have a sponsor now? Because uh, we do have a sponsor. Yes. So, so there's a name on this. Yes, absolutely. Because we do. Listeners, I'm saying this because in the previous matches they had just a <laughs> blank blue shirt. I mean, progress comes slowly. Okay. If you all of a sudden you do too well and then just don't wait too long, otherwise you will be relegated. Uh, that yeah, I mean we full on uh, we finally won our last match, so th- that's uh, thank you very much. Uh, condolence for the last four matches. Yeah, um, I accept the condolence. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean progress. You know we've got a full new team, uh, eleven probably like eleven new players. Takes time, takes a few years. Even Guardiola took like at least two three years to win Champions League, Premier League. You know. So it's fine. I mean, we have a manager crisis. Well, what is your thought about um, the VAR issue oh, with yeah, Liverpool yeah, and yeah, Tottenham? Yeah, yeah. Tottenham? It's, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I agree with Klopp. Why not have a rematch? Mm, it would be, be good. Like, um, I mean, every party would... I mean, good. what's the point of uh, accepting, okay, we made a mistake, but they lost the match, you know? The I thing mean, it was that, a draw. Uh, um, of course, apologizing is a good thing, but yeah. they have to apologize too, mu- too much now. Like, in the last exactly, few yeah. seasons, we have to Maybe the same. Maybe give them a point. Give them a point, or lady, maybe we'll just have a new rematch. Yeah. I mean, the standards should be set now. Absolutely. For definitely. football. Um. Yeah. So we were talking about the matches, which happened yesterday. Uh, we had uh, quite interesting matches. I will just highlight the main ones. Um, Newcastle, PSG. Um. So what happened was, hmm. Newcastle scored. 1-0. Newcastle scored 2-0. Okay. 
Newcastle scored 3-0. In the first half, is it still in the It's first half? It's first half, 2-0. 2-0, okay. Second half, 3-0. 3-0. And then 3-1. Okay. And then 4-1. 4-1. 4-1. 4-1 was, yeah. And uh, the team that, that was... Amazing team for PSG. You had Mbappe, you had Dembele... And and different players, you know, but um, Ashraf Hakimi, I think. Ashraf Hakimi, you got Marquinhos, you got uh, Skriniar in defense, you got Donnarumma, uh, Lucas Hernandez. It, it's a great team, but uh, somehow Newcastle was on fire and they just won. Uh, it is so strange, you know what? Um, you know, I, I, if someone comes to me today and saying that, listen, I'm not watching football anymore, I would understand him that people are wasting so much money on people and players yeah, yeah. to build a team exactly and if you look like they have bought a player mm. for 222 million yes it was a few years ago and what did he do for them he was injured the most time and that money you can spend like literally on people on countries to I help mean, them that that's a different yeah, but story. this is, a, this is the market the, now we that's can't the do point anything. you yeah, know yeah. you you you're basically buying clubs for what for winning the champions league I mean, this is this shouldn't be your goal. I mean, if we have, if we have the money, if we have, if we can do do some change, then do it. Use your money in a good way. This is, you know, I know I'm talking now as a uh, from Islamic perspective as well. But Definitely, yeah. these people yeah. are Muslims who have bought mm-hmm. these. Teams. Exactly, yeah. And they, they just do the opposite what the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has told them. You know, it's a very famous incident. I just want to mention that as a man, you carry on with football. No, no. Um, You know, this is what I put in front of myself as well. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Very humble person, right? He was as a, like basically the king of Arabia. So one day, the listeners, he was walking with his three of his companions and suddenly there was a mount called Ohud. It's a very famous mount in Islamic history. And he said that uh, if I had gold and silver which will be in the same amount as the amount in front of us, I would have spent not a single night sleeping until I would have given away the silver and gold to those people in need. Right? So he basically explained what, you know, the true picture of a true believer of Islam, that basically you just don't spend your money for people so they can win any cups for you, but you would spend money for to help people, to help countries to develop. So I'm just, you know, as I said, you know what it's making me sad? You just said they lost 4-1. So well done. You have basically wasted your money for nothing. <laughs> Why after just carry after on? that story, I don't know how I can carry on with the football. No, no, just carry, carry on. I mean, there were other matches as well. Absolutely. So and we I think these teams were not bought by some millionaires. <laughs> so we had Atletico Madrid versus uh, Feyenoord. Uh, I guess that's how you... Fair not. Fair not, yeah. Uh, 3-2 for Atletico. Morata scored twice and Griezmann once. And uh, so they won. Uh, Dortmund AC Milan was a draw with 0-0. Uh, Leipzig and Manchester City actually watched the match and it was really Same, interesting. I watched this match as well. Was Leipzig good. was really, really good. on it. Yeah, really good. Defensively, they were very, very Ex- fine. Exactly. I mean, City had a hard time, but actually won 3-1. 
Haaland still waiting for his first goal. Um, what I mean, yeah. last season he, he said he made like not a prophecy, but he made said that he will score more goals than um, Cristiano Ronaldo when he had his 16 goals in one season. Okay, and he will break in it in Champions League. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't break it. I mean, it's just his uh, second match, so let's see. You but know, he, he, he can score a hat trick anytime. Um, I feel that Alvarez. He's already got three oh, goals really in two like matches. Him. Really like he him. is m- more taking over his side. Like basically, he is my main, the main man. He's now like basically uh, has been the backup when he's not scoring, then he's scoring. So either one but of them Holland is scoring. How long will this go on? Like because he's he's great. He's world champion, and he should have that amount of minutes as well, which he deserves. I mean, he 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 does play in the Premier League. He's the star behind him. So let's see what happens. And we also had um, a Barcelona versus FC Porto. Barcelona did win 1 0. They had a red card um, for Gavi. And also Lewandowski came off in 34th minute. I hope that was not an injury because we do want Lewandowski to play on and keep scoring goals. He's a good player. He's a I fine mean, player, yeah. He's a fine player, yeah. Manchester United, um, people are talking about Manchester oh, United as well. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Conceding many goals, um, scoring goals as well, but conceding more goals, mm-hmm. which means that they lose more. Absolutely. It, it's uh, We just hope uh, that the goalkeeper situation betters and, uh, you know. Then, then they, ha- they have this goalkeeper issues like for a long time. First, they thought Tache has a problem now. They have Onana, who was very good last season for Inter Milan. Oh, he's struggling as well. Um, is it, I think it's a pressure, right? You know, you have on your shoulder when you Absolutely. come as a goalkeeper. It's, it's a big club, so... Because you yeah. had before that, you had very good goalkeepers. You had Peter Schmeichel and yeah. the Fonda Bar. And then suddenly you have the Gea. The Gea, and he's still uh, a free agent. He's still a free agent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he could still play for good And he team. won the Golden Glove last season. Oh, did he? Yeah. And then they left, let him go. <laughs> yeah. But that's their problem. That's the problem to it is. Um, dear listeners, uh, well, one thing. You know, the amazing thing about Islam is that, and Jassim, this is what I like. Recently we had the, the national gathering for the youth of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK, which means that, for, uh, let's say from the age of 7 to 40, yes, this is, the acceleration we have for the youth, they came together and they compete in different uh, categories. Of course, we have group ages as well. And, um, but the main thing is that Islam promotes to do look after your body as well, to have a healthy body as well. I remember they had uh, the cycling thing as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I saw you. Uh, you saw me. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, this is a great opportunity to people to... To do more for uh, for the, to look after the body as well. I remember, and I always say that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, he basically challenged his wife, Aisha, yeah, who was yeah. quite younger than him, for, for a race, not for one race, for two races. And I always say this is like a sunnah, a practice of the Prophet peace be upon him. A Muslim always try to fulfill this practice, but due to to raise in the age like he did, it's very difficult. For most people, not for everyone, and I think he he is the role model that he was about fifty, or yes, when he challenged his wife, and um, 
that's why Islam is saying that look after you. But a healthy Muslim is much more liked than a not so healthy Muslim in Allah's eyes. And therefore we compete, we do try to compete in different competitions as well. So uh, how many kilometers did you do? About cycling? Yes. Uh, because of shortage of time, only 15. Only 15, just because of shortage of time. Just of shortage of time. Did anyone beat you? Uh, I think so, I hope so. I didn't ask, I didn't go again. I did go again, but I don't know. If I hope for people, I mean, 15 is nothing, to be honest. People should be able to do more. And I could do more as well, but because... Um, uh, the Nether session was about to start, so we had to leave. Uh, the listeners, um, we will go now for a short break, and after that, we'll be back for our first segment. And this, in this first segment, dear listeners, we will talk about Humanity First as well. Um, it's a hub organization founded by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, and we will talk about the projects they have done throughout the years. So do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam radio. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance. Because of their entering into the bayat, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India, some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, these people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw and this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God, the all-knowing. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. Dear listeners, just one thing, um, because we're going to talk about religion as well today. I just want to know from your perspective, why do you think religion is very is important for you? Let us know. Give us a call. The number is 0208-687-787. Or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK. Meanwhile, Asim. Why don't you just explain just for the first segment? Absolutely. So the first segment is why protests are happening amidst a major Libyan food flood crisis. And the gist of the story is that uh, basically protests broke out in the Libyan city of Dana on Monday uh, with hundreds 
uh, venting their anger against authorities and demanding accountability one week after a flood that killed thousands of residents and destroyed entire neighborhood. And you know, it's very sad that we had so many crises now. We had an earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Then we had an earthquake in Morocco. Morocco. I know we had this flood crisis mm-hmm. in Libya. And But, you know, one thing which gives me um, strong uh, strength and hope is that then humanity comes together and they try to help. And the listeners, right now we have someone with us who also does try everything to help humanity. Um, we have the listeners Heather Shabbat with us who is a flood recovery expert and powerful advocate for flood communities with a keen focus on ensuring that the rights' voices are heard. With 25 years of experience, she has well-rounded knowledge in different elements of flood risk and recovery as well as working for justice for victims of flooding and securing better outcomes for flood communities. Heather Shepard, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Oh, good morning to you. Thank you for uh, asking me to uh, join you this morning. Um... Basically, I'm very delighted to have you with us. Um, Heather, um, could you please tell us a bit about your role as a national flood forum and how your charity helps victims of floods? Yes, so um, well, my experience is uh, uh, my joining of the, of the National Flood Forum was actually because I suffered flooding myself and I still do. So I've uh, flooded six times already um, uh, in a, a fairly short periods of time and uh, and from there I got more involved with flooding and understanding uh, all the different elements um, that go along with managing floods in this country in England and um, uh, and and also giving people uh, a chance to vocalize the sorts of things that uh, were worrying them and that they needed to understand themselves. Um, I started off as uh, actually being asked to join as um, uh, one of the directors on the board of of the Flood Forum and then quickly there was some flooding in the north um, uh, in Hull area and um, Sheffield area and so literally went on the ground with a colleague to help and support people immediately after after a flood and to support people there. So the National Flood Forum has uh, very uh, many elements that it, it deals with. It helps people understand how to prepare and get ready for floods because it's becoming more prevalent in this country. And um, But it also um, uh, helps immediately after floods, as I've just said, in, in, in a recovery situation. It's campaigns um, for change, um, for for people um, working with government and the people that manage flood risk, like the environment agency in local councils um, and water companies. Um, and uh, it, it all really, I mean, it's the only charity that there is in England that um, focuses on flood alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so really it's, it's got a rounded view of everything um, regard flood in this country. Oh, amazing. That's amazing, really amazing. So, uh, Heather, uh, important, really important question is, you know, uh, what advice would you give to our listeners on basically how to support those affected by floods? 
Well, I mean, you you know, you've been mentioning floods abroad, which have been absolutely catastrophic for people. And I think the the element of floods that's often missing is the fact that how it actually helps really um, affects people uh, physically and mentally. Um, and it has very long-lasting effects, lifetime effects mm-hmm. that flooding has. And often we see a catastrophe, and uh, which we have done on, on television, and there's the huge clear-up and the loss that people are suffering. And uh, that, you know, that kind of bereavement is enough. But th- those, that, that devastation, that actual part of being in that devastation has lifelong effects on people's health and well-being. And I think that's something that's often missed, is that sometimes we look at a catastrophe and think, well, they're over it now, everything's back to normal. But for those people who went through that, there is no normality again after that. It's something that plays on people's minds. And I think many people kind of lock that experience up in the back of their minds because it's too painful to bring forward and talk about. So, and I think there's no difference between that and everybody, whether you suffer flooding in this country or abroad. And um, and I think that's something we need to to recognise that you know this isn't something that just goes away. This is something that lives with people all their lives. And in this country, we need to to make people aware that you know because of climate change, this is happening more and more and more. We're seeing flooding i've seen in my experience of 24 years of working with flood the frequency of flooding now is far more than it ever has been before and um we need to all recognize that we may feel safe and that we've not suffered flooding but actually it could happen to us within you know within the decade of flooding could happen to many of us so i think it's really good for us to be aware that this could and what we can do you know make sure that we're ringing people like the Environment Agency or Council for surface water flooding and, and checking, you know, are we in an area that is susceptible to flooding? If we are, you know, is there any kind of warning system that we can sign up to? And uh, and make sure that in the back of our minds that this could happen to us and we need to find out more and be prepared because if we don't, the shock of and trauma of it when it does suddenly happen to you is is overwhelming. And, um, and I, I, you know, the realisation that flooding is, is, can be life-destroying and certainly life-changing, and we all need to be aware of that. Absolutely. So just regarding that point that, you know, the frequency of climate events like floods are increasing around the world, you know, yeah. just we've just yeah. seen last few months. How does your organisation uh, raise awareness of the impact of floods? So, well, we do mostly the the people that do the most awareness are the environment agency in this country, um, who, you know, is a big organisation and also a part of the management of of, uh, floods or protecting us from flooding as well. Um, So they do, they have a warning service that you can sign up to that will give you alerts either by email or phone or however way, whatever, whichever way is most convenient for you. Um, and so for us at the National Flood Fund, we will divert people to, to help them to find out whether they're at risk or not. We have a helpline that anybody could ring um, uh, to find out anything, really, that they want to know. Or if they've had any flooding, they can come uh, to get practical advice. 
but also emotional advice. So we're there also to, to listen to people. Anybody who's had any experiences or relatives that might know people who've had experiences, we're there to, to listen and help because we understand what people are going through. And but we also run what's called the Blue Pages, which is also like a directory of different um, things that you can purchase, really, to protect uh, uh, as much as you can the water from getting into your home and there's various types of flooding if you've got river flooding then that's likely to stain around you for, for longer but also we're seeing surface water which is your street and your road becoming uh, flooding becoming more prevalent as well in this country so um, we, we give advice on, on how to, to look after yourself and home and how to prepare uh, and then, of course, we, we take those elements that uh, where we see needs change and we campaign for those at government level for change. So, for instance, it became at one point very, very difficult to get insurance for your property if you were in a flood risk area. Um, we've campaigned for many years over that and there's now an agreement between government and the insurance industry called Flood Re that enables you to gain insurance if you are having problems because you are in a flood risk area. Um, Heather, is it possible if you can share also some experiences you have had in the last recent years? Sorry, would you mind repeating that? I can't quite hear that. Oh, sorry for that. Um, I, basically, I was basically asking if you could share uh, without any experiences of working with floods in this country in recent years. Oh, yes. Um, yes, I've been to, to many floods so the big Big floods have been um, in Sheffield, but also Cumbria. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we stay away while the blue lights are, are out. You know, where, when the flood is actually happening, because uh, otherwise you just can cause more work for um, the emergency services. But as soon as the emergency services uh, go, then uh, we can come in and uh, we go. We, we have a big trailer which goes into the heart of the flooding of where people are flooded in into their street or an area in that street where people can um come and you know have a cup of tea talk to us mm. find out what's the next steps what they've got to do what needs what what's the process of recovering from a flood is likely to be and we do that in partnership with flood risk managers which mm. is you know um, a flood risk manager from the council from the environment agency from a water company so people can gain as much information as they want but also we're there as a national flood forum for, for you know for, for that hug for that hand holding to you know uh, un- and that understanding of, of what people are going through and um uh, and, and the, the sympathy as well. We can also help people with first steps of uh, approaching their mm. insurance company um, to make a claim on their property, um, but also to make sure that people are, you know, being served in in the way that they they need to be. Um, and we do that directly, working with different third sector agencies, that's other volunteer, volunteering sectors, to ensure that you know, we can help and support people as much as possible. So, yes, we do see people immediately after their property has been flooded, but we're also there for the long term. So we're there for the many, many months uh, that it takes to get their homes restored so that they're able to move back into their property 
uh, and and you know live life as normally as they did before the flood really um and uh that long term support is what is often missed that people need that continued support it's not something mm. that you just need information for immediately after you need that support through the whole process no oh, that's very important uh and very interesting and it's very amazing what you do for people in crisis as well um Heather Shepard um thank you for joining and uh, I wish you all the best uh, for the future as well and again it's amazing job what you have done in the last years as well by helping people in crisis uh, may Allah bless you for that thank you well thank you very much for inviting me thank it's been you. lovely to talk to you thank thank you bye so the listeners you just listened to Heather Shepard who is the director of engagement for the National Flood Forum and who brings over 25 years of experience of engaging with the at risk public you know uh, in the end how beautiful she basically said that how she helps people and how his uh, like community comes together and how they help people in short times but also in long time and this is you know reminded me basically this is what religion basically explains us to do as well especially the islamic religion you know to fulfill the rights of allah's creation as well uh, and this is what you know when she was explaining it to us dear listeners it just reminded me on that fact as well this is the duty we have as well and that this is the duty we need to do as well uh, to fulfill as well so amazing um, job as well for uh, what hada uh, shepherd is doing and again we just wish the very best for her we pray for her as well and also we pray for the victims as well and uh, i think you know um this is something we should listen again and it's something we should do as well to help people uh we can maybe we can help people as well we're just not going to any this kind of crisis but to mental health or anything and uh, even being long term or sh- short term that we should be there and we should be ready to help them like the same way Heather Shepard is doing it so it's amazing again uh dear listeners um now while we were talking to Heather Shepard dear listeners we have already contacted someone else as well Arig uh, Mahdavi uh, who, who is action against humus countries director for Libya and is currently based in Tripoli and now dear listeners action against hunger is an interna- international humanitarian agency responding to conflict disasters and emergencies including recent floods that have devastated eastern libya arik uh, good morning and welcome to the breakfast show good morning good morning um arik um about about your organization action against hunger is it possible if you can tell us a bit more about that yeah uh first of all thank you uh, so much for having me today in this uh, uh talk uh, actually after working in libya since three years like before the the storm we are working all over libya providing many uh, services for our uh, for the community there and our beneficiaries we are working in food security and uh, livelihood uh, health and nutrition uh war sector and mental health and social support so we were serving our beneficiaries there providing services in east west and south of libya thank you very much uh, so arik um uh, what is the assessment of your organization on these floods and what have you done to help uh, you know the affected people yeah actually uh i like on behalf of 
lately us are sending all the biggest sympathies for the families who are affected by the storm and uh, uh, who lost their beloved ones. Uh, since uh, the beginning of Daniel Storm, uh, Action Against Hunger, uh, we're working closely with uh, our partners, uh, local authorities, to, to uh, assist the needs of the beneficiaries uh, uh, in the affected areas. And uh, based on that, uh, we, are, uh, we planned and designed uh, our uh, uh, interventional strategy related to um, water uh, sanitation, hygiene, uh, prim- uh, hygiene promotion, uh, basically the services that uh, will be provided. So we, are, we were planning and we are currently uh, supporting almost 2,500 beneficiaries by our services in the East Benghazi. Uh, I was still there since uh, like the first week of the uh, the Daniel storm, and they are working hand by hand with the, our partners uh, and the local authorities to reach the most affected uh, people from the storm. That's amazing. Thank you. You know, so the, basically the frustration amongst the people has led to anti-government protests in the flooded area. Um, so how are you able to work around these challenges and still carry on, you know, with your charitable work? Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, like uh, Libya uh, was in the fragile and complex uh, uh, state of the context since uh, like almost the case, and uh, there was one million, uh, more than one million humanitarian aid before the, uh, the crisis and before the annual storm. But uh, we are focusing to reach the uh, most affected people, and we are focusing more like to uh, overcome all the challenges that we are facing in the field. Like, the situation was easy, but by working hand by hand with uh, our local partners, uh, that makes us like uh, focus more on how to reach the, the needed beneficiaries and uh, uh, provide them with the services that we are providing through our team. Well. Amazing. Ari, um, I just want to know that uh, what inspires you to do this work despite its difficulties in the region, and what can we do as like we listeners to help with the situation? Uh, to be honest with you, like a lot of work needs to be done. Like the infrastructure uh, uh, in Libya uh, was a bit uh, uh, complicated and needs support before the Daniel mm-hmm. Storm. And with, the, with this crisis, like more support is needed in terms of uh, uh, mental health and psychosocial support, wars, uh, and uh, all the sectors uh, are affected, like schools, uh, rehabilitation for schools. Uh, Children, uh, children who are displaced, like this, those people are need to be supported. So I believe, like uh, all the support for uh, INGOs uh, who are working in, in those communities could be helped to uh, provide the most needed services for those beneficiaries. Interesting. And Arik, um, is there any? Um, th- do you have any social media accounts where we can find you and we where we can follow you and we we can see uh, the great work you are doing? Uh, sorry, I, I think it's question. I think if there are any social media accounts you have, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, there is uh, Action Against Hunger platforms, uh, different uh, social media platforms uh, could be followed, and uh, uh, we have all of our uh, reporting and uh, uh, 
secrets on those uh, platforms. Uh, so you, you can't follow our work uh, there. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I think uh, for the, for the listeners would be very interesting and important as well to see what these organizations are doing and how they help people in crisis as well. Um, Arik, uh, thank you for your time. It was very great listening to you as well. I hope the situation comes down in uh, Libya as well and I hope Allah ease your work as well. May Allah bless you and your great work you have done and which you do in the future as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this and uh, have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. So, uh, Asim, um, I think, you know, the reason we have pointed out the things that, that as we just talked about in the early uh, time, minutes, that Allah has said in the Holy Quran, or He has explained us many, many times that you need to fulfill my rights, right? We mm -hmm. need to follow yep. His teachings. We need to worship Him, etc. But, He said one other thing as well, which is also very important. He said, fulfill the rights of my creation. Absolutely, definitely. And, uh, you know, um, you can't do one thing, but um, you can't leave the other thing out. You yeah, have to do both things. You can't and neglect one, yeah. To help, to help Allah's um, creation, uh, the best way to do so is, if you start believing in God and if you start caring for God, or if you start loving God as well, you know, um, His Holiness, may Allah be salved, but he has said it many times that we see crisis, we see wars in different parts of the world as well. And uh, he said, he gave, he gave, he basically gave one conclusion or uh, one way to get out of this crisis, which is, which is basically to recognize God. And um, the fourth caliph, he said it very beautifully, he said, when if you love the art, if you love the artist, you will love yeah. his art as well. Exactly. If you love the creator you will love his creation as well uh, and that's the point that if we love Allah then of course we will start loving his creation as well and as Heather and uh, um, uh, as we have seen by the guests as well uh, they have done it as well they have started uh, um, approaching uh, people who are going to crisis right who um, to save them to help them uh, and this is you know this is basically what Islam basically tells us you know I just mentioned Heather and Arik both are serving mankind both helping them go through that and this is one thing which is very important in religion dear listeners in the Islamic religion this is highlighted many many times as well the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community he has said that if for example in his last book which is known as the message of peace he said it he clarified it very very beautifully that Being a member of his community or being a Muslim, if you see a house of a Hindu burning, then you should be ready to safeguard the Hindu and his belongings as well. You should be ready to make sure that, that he is safe. So this is the thing. This is the nature of a true believer. That's the nature of an Ahmadi Muslim, basically, described by the founder of the community, which we believe is the Messiah there, the Zulmizawul Ahmad. So uh, that's the thing, you know, that whenever we seek crisis in the world, and we will talk about uh, humanity first as well, which is the help organization uh, founded by the fourth caliph, how they have people affected in different parts of the world. And uh, but be before we carry on, um, the listeners, we will go now for a short break. And uh, then we will meet again after the eight o'clock news. And like as I said, we have one guest for this segment as well. And we will discuss about humanity first as well as 
we will also ask him other questions as well. But most importantly, we will discuss what religion basically says, what Islam basically says to help people in need. So do me a favor, stay tuned with this Voice of Islam radio and don't go anywhere. The latest news, views, discussions and insights into Islam's perspective on the world today. Join us live throughout the week on the breakfast and drive time shows. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to another edition of The Drive Time Show. Asalaamu Alaikum, hello and welcome to the Voice of Islam Living History Programme. Hello and welcome to another edition of Book Corner, where we delve into the wonderful world of literature and explore all its incredible facets. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programmes for you to enjoy. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Hello and Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. Uh, broadcasting from the biggest mosque of England. And dear listeners, we are talking about crisis. We are talking about the Libyan crisis. We had two very um, excellent guests. Uh, before the news break and dear listeners of course we're going to talk about religion as well I just want to know from you why do you think religion is important in your life give us a call the number is 0208687787 or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK I would be thrilled to listen to you on such as well but before that um, dear listeners we have another guest with us right now who is the chairman of Humanity First UK, Dr. Aziz Ahmed Hafiz. Dr. Aziz, uh, good morning. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the blessings of Allah be with you. And welcome to the breakfast show. Wa alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm actually very delighted that you are with us right now because I want to know about Humanity First. Can you give us a bit of a background about the charity you work with? So, Humanity First is uh, is the one of the charitable arms of the Amdiya Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Uh, formed has a disaster response development NGO uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, it serves twofold. Uh, development work within the developing work with the developing world in terms of health, agriculture, uh, education, shelter and also disaster relief work uh, be those hurricanes tsunamis earthquakes uh, man-made uh, sadly as well as natural disasters across the world uh, it's run exclusively by trained professional volunteers a large majority of our volunteers come from the Amdiya Muslim community however we have a wide range of volunteers from across all backgrounds all societies uh, across some 60 countries of the world at present. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Dr. Aziz, um, we understand that, uh, you know, Humanity First has different 
subsections, uh, basically which focus on different areas of humanitarian work around the world. So can you tell us a bit more about these subsections uh, and uh, basically the work they carry, carry out? So there's, there's two key areas, as I, as I mentioned earlier. There is the development work and then there's the disaster work. In terms of the development work, uh, many parts of the developing world, sub-Saharan Africa, there are communities, rural communities, that have very limited access to education, health uh, and water and sanitation. So we provide education to rural communities, ensure that they've got sustainable provision in terms of primary schools, secondary schools, that allows countless, countless individuals in these communities to gain an education uh, and then progress in life. At the same time, health health is a, is a major concern, again, with the rural communities, not accessing safe, effective health care with the nearest health facilities are hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So we provide not only outreach clinics in remote areas, but at the same time, local hospitals and local centers whereby people can access uh, healthcare. And currently within the Ivory Coast, we are in the middle of building a state-of-the-art hospital that will provide high quality care, at hugely subsidized costs to the population uh, and free for those who are unable to afford based on a model that we have successfully implemented in Guatemala. The other area uh, that we're working on is, is agriculture and, and food security. Again, parts of the developing world, <coughs> excuse me, access to a, a sustainable food provision, uh, whether that's agricultural techniques to help women ensure they get the best out of their land for their families, or whether that's providing them appropriate seeds and equipment uh, to ensure that they've got a regular food supply, both for their own families, as well as to sell and to create an income to support their families. So this is a high level in terms of the development work. And the other aspect is our disaster response work. Um, as you've seen currently, we our teams are in the middle of assisting within the earthquake in working with our partners on, on the ground, and primarily there the needs are shelter. So disaster response work, again, has a huge scope, and in that it includes a lot of health provision. In a lot of sudden onset disasters, whether that's refugee communities or whether that's natural disasters, health is usually one of the first things that's hit, uh, not only the immediate injuries of the, of the disaster, it's earthquake, tsunami, flooding, uh, but also long-term implications with lack of access. So we have a roster of medical professionals from the UK and across the world uh, that we are able to tap into to reach the, these areas. So that, that is, a, is, a, is a high level view of uh, the areas that Humanity First tries to cover. Absolutely, that is some amazing stuff which is happening. So, uh, you know, as you've seen in the two recent natural disasters in Morocco and Libya, uh, what have been the initiatives of Humanity First that has taken up uh, till now? So the key work that we have carried out uh, within Morocco has been primarily liaising and working with the local authorities and the local coordination uh, bodies to ensure that we can provide not only immediate emergency assistance in terms of relief supplies, uh, shelter, food, bedding, but we are working 
with mid to long term uh, plans with our partners on the ground um, to ensure that the rebuilding is, is, is done in a planned, coordinated way, an efficient way, and we are able to channel our donors' support to help rebuild in terms of schools and housing. Currently, our teams are there on the ground in week five now, uh, working in conjunction with the authorities. I must say the Moroccan authorities have managed this disaster extremely well. Uh, they've got a good coordination system, a good reach to remote villages in the High Atlas Mountains, uh, and working in conjunction with their directions and with local partners on the ground, uh, we've been able to achieve so far over 3,000 beneficiaries that we've assisted with immediate relief. But we are currently working on rebuilding programs. And as, we, as in any situation, the authorities on the ground are keen to ensure that any rebuilding programs are done according to their local rules, regulations, <clears throat> and appropriately done, rather than multitude of organisations coming in and doing things without any coordination. So Humanity First, as a responsible NGO, is working in coordination with the authorities. Uh, yesterday I was in a meeting with one of our partners uh, discussing this very subject in terms of rebuilding damaged schools. Uh, if you can imagine, uh, high up in the in the Atlas Mountains, remote communities, uh, their schools have been destroyed. They literally have, have nowhere to go for their education. If they were to go into the city, it's uh, in many, many hours drive to reach places like Marrakesh or, mm. or Agadir on the western side. So our hopes and aims are to ensure that they've got local provision mm. built locally for their needs uh, to enable these children to continue with their education. So so that that is where we're at at the moment uh, with our assistance on the earthquake. Now, may, may I help you uh, for, <coughs> for that as well? Um, doctor, um, can you give advice to us on how we can help with such causes? So, sadly, the world is... The world is rife with disasters mm -hmm. uh, across the world, from east to west, from north to south. Uh, and we're looking here in the United Kingdom that, as a nation, uh, we're very uh, sort of uh, open-hearted. And there are many, many uh, good organizations and NGOs out there trying to help uh, Humanity First as one of those. Mm -hmm. Humanity First as an organization inspired by the MDM Muslim community and His Holiness the fifth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Mirza Masroor Ahmed, aims to try to fill that gap also. And anybody interested can look on our website on hfuk.org, can actually provide financial donations or if they want to volunteer. So hfuk.org, you'll be able to find out a lot more and we'll be more than happy to, to speak to you and inform you. So the listeners, the website is hfuk.org where basically we can register and we can like give charity as well um doctor just one question uh are there any social as well which you you use for the charity where we can basically follow you and see the work you're doing so our our twitter handle is humanity first uk uh, and that's probably our lead social handle and from there you can access all our facebook pages our instagram and our linkedin uh so humanity first uk uh Uh, that's on Twitter, and hopefully you'll be able to keep keep posted as well as our YouTube channel as well, which is Vanity First TV.
And so just last last question before you go, because you mentioned His Holiness may Allah be his help. What advice has he basically given to you guys on helping uh, Allah's creation, basically? So we have been very blessed to have uh, some some insightful guidance, mm-hmm. and it's primarily in terms of how we're dealing with our beneficiaries across the world. That that we deal with absolute justice. Uh, mm. There is no favoritism. There's no mm. bias. Uh, for example, a large majority of our members are from the Indian Muslim community. That does not mean that they get any any preferential mm. uh, treatment. It's uh, ensuring that our provision uh, is is completely needs based. It's needs needs based and based on the requirements of justice. Uh, and to ensure that we pay attention to detail you know, in all our work, and we get the maximum amount for the minimum input. So, so maximum sort of utility uh, and, and minimum input. So we get more for our pound and more for our dollar uh, across the world. That's very amazing because you know you were just mentioning that absolute justice. It reminds me that. Uh, the incident when Abu Sufyan came to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, and Abu Sufyan used to be a very big enemy in that time. He converted very late, but before that he was an enemy of Islam, and he came and he asked for food as well for his people of Mecca, knowing that they will attack Medina, the city of the Prophet. But still, the Prophet he just called his companion and said, "Listen, gather some food and drinks together and give it to the people of Mecca." And this is also like absolute justice, no uh, favoritism. Even though they were like the enemy of Islam at that time, but he was still ready to serve them as well. And this is like what His Holiness basically uh, also has advice to you guys. So basically, the main thing for you guys, what you're doing is basically following the Sunnah, the practice of the Holy Prophet, Muhammad, peace be upon him. So, uh, so absolutely. So Humanity First has a creation of the Indian Muslim community, uh, although uh, has no uh, 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 no no bias in terms of uh, faith, religion. Uh, culture. However, uh, it fulfills the second aspect of the Islamic teaching of service, of you primarily recognizing your creator, mm. and secondly, for us, is actually serving his creation. Exactly. So it's serving that creation with complete justice and unbiased uh, that is our remit and our motto. Doctors, you know, Dr. Aziz, I would listen to you even more if I had the time, but unfortunately, we are short in time, but I wish you all the best for the future as well and for the great work you're doing. May Allah bless you for that. May Allah bless every member of uh, the Humanity First uh, organization. And uh, thank you for joining breakfast, the Breakfast Show. God bless you. Thank you very thank much you. for having me. As-salamu alaykum. Peace and blessings. May Allah with you. So, dear listeners, this is, the, this is why I decided it's very important, you know, religion is there basically to provide these things for the creation of God. He said that basically this is the second fundamental belief of Islam that you serve Allah, but also his creation. Absolutely, Sal, and, and we do hope and pray that even other charities follow the same example which Matifas is following, no favoritism, and everyone gets the same equal treatment. Exactly, I'm sure they're doing it. Absolutely. I'm sure yeah. they're doing it. The listeners, um, we will be uh, coming to the end of the first segment. We'll go on off, uh, to a short break, and then we will start with the second segment, which is the need for religion and the listeners I just want to know from you why is religion so important for you let us know you answer on, you can call us anytime the number is 0208-687-7878 or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK do me a favor stay tuned with the Voice of Islam radio we are back in just a few seconds Allah, Allah. 
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. My name is Shahimri Ahmed and I'm joined here with Aslan Hashmi and we start with the second segment which is the need for religion and dear listeners, as already mentioned before, you can call in any time. The number is 0208-687-7878 or you can go on, the social, on our socials at Voiceom UK. Please let us know why is religion so important for you and Asim. Do also let me know why do you think religion is so important? Um, Sahil, um, I mean, religion is important because I, I need God. You need God. I need God. I know I can't survive without, without that, God. That's, that's, you know, this is very important because I, you know, basically those who basically found God by f- finding God, I mean, who do remember God 24 hours, right? Remembering God, praying to Him as well, yes? Serving mankind, we just just heard uh, from our guests as well, which is also very important. I believe you just said, then you have God, basically, with God you have basically a friend, right? A guardian. Absolutely. Let's yeah. say a yeah. provider, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who gives you everything you need. And I'm t- talking about someone who is basically who can do that, right? A friend who will never leave you alone. But the only thing he wants from us is, remember me and I will remember you. This is what he said, right? Yeah, Holy yeah, definitely. A- and uh, it is not like you just remember him o- o- when you are going through difficulties. He said, remember me even when you are not going through any difficulties. Also in times when... You have no problems. Just remember me, and this is the Thank point. Thank me when you're happy as well, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. This is the, that's the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Allah says that um, th- these people, even if they are sitting or standing, they do remember Allah. And with remember, I just mentioned twenty-four thac- uh, twenty-four hours, which means throughout the day, even you are working, uh, you do remember Allah. So of course, sometimes it is difficult. But with remembrance, it also means that you try to please God. So whatever you do, even if you're working, if you are walking, if you're looking up to your children, if you're studying, anything, dear listeners, even if you're listening to the voice of some radio, <laughs> do it because you want to please Allah. This is the more point, uh, the whole point of what Asim just explained. And um, then you will see Allah in a very different way, in a way that you will have never experienced before. And this is something you have to experience by yourself for we just give can give you the advice we have got from the founder of the, the Muslim community, and you know, awesome. You know, um, when I read his book, and this is really this this is what I feel. When I read his book, it is like he is basically, even though he's uh, talking about uh, different topics, um, but it is like he is trying to get my attention to that point that please do remember God. Please mm-hmm. try to please him. Yeah, yeah. This is what I feel like. He's just dragging me to that point. You need to please God. And this is the only thing you, because you were created for. Uh, and this is, this is what you, that's, that's the important thing. Um, we have a lot of people, you know, um, who are shifting away from religion. And, uh, but as I said, you know, Asim, in this segment, I want to talk about the true importance of religion uh, in our everyday lives and reason why a negative perception of it seems to have risen because this is true it is happening and um, therefore of course we need experts as well the listeners um, 
we will uh, we need to, uh, someone who can talk about someone who can explain it because you know one thing awesome is that people say science and religion they can't coexist together I disagree with that and uh, Islam is basically a religion who's basically explaining that science and Islam are living together and can live together um, dear listeners uh, if you want to be a part of this segment if you want to be a part of this show let us know why is religion important for you Arsene just gave me an answer because he wants to be close to God why do you think is religion important to you let us, us know your answer you can call in anytime the number is 0286877787 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK uh, meanwhile you know I just want to present one thing um, His Holiness He was asked one time, the question was, um, does he believe in God and how will he like explain that God exists? And he said um, that Allah is basically, God is basically there and accepts his prayers. Whenever he asks something, Allah accepts it. So it means that he has such a close relationship to God, God is willing to give him everything. Mm-hmm. And I again go to the point that the reason we are created for is to please God and to remember him 24 hours. And the listeners, as promised, for this segment, we will have also guests and we will come to our first guest. Her name is Suf Amiche, who is a research fellow at Trinity Hall, Cambridge, and completed a PhD at Cambridge on medieval arguments for the existence of God. Now, her subject area is medieval philosophy and history of science. Um, Suf Amiche, uh, good morning and welcome to the Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so, to be honest, since I know that you are part of the show, I'm actually happy because there's one question I actually wanted to ask you. And the question is that if you can just describe your perspective on the relationship between the physical and the metaphysical existence. All right. Um, yeah. So by the, the physical world, um, what we usually mean is uh, the things around us, or the things that we see every day uh, as a part of nature. And we're talking about things like um, gravity and things that we see by science. Um, but by metaphysics world, so technically what we mean by metaphysics is things that are um, beyond nature. So these are questions that we can't look at with science. And we like to look at it as um, questions about existence. Mm-hmm. So, for example, what kind of things exist and what kind of things can exist, even if they don't now, and why do they exist? And a, a very obvious example, uh, especially for me, is the question about whether God or angels exist, because that is not something that's obvious for us. Um, but also, I think we now use metaphysical to mean something like a spiritual or mystical experience. Um, so we might say we've had a metaphysical experience, but really we mean uh, we've seen something like magic or miracle, and that is a, a borrowed use of the word. Okay. And, um, you know, in your view, can religion teach us something science cannot? Uh, sorry, could you repeat that? If religion can teach us something what science cannot? Um yeah, I think so. I think science today, we're very aware about um, its limitations. It can only prove what it's setting to prove. And there are many um, 
elements to life, like um, the morality and all these questions about why things exist that science cannot answer at all. And religion gives us um, answers that are personal, where science can't give personal answers. So there are many places um, in our lives that we might turn to religion and science can't give us any answers to. Interesting. So, Asuf, your doctoral thesis is about arguments you know, from various backgrounds of uh, the existence of God. So how do you see this in the perspective of the need for religion in the modern world? So that's, that's a good question. Um, we, we have in history lots and lots and lots of arguments for the existence of God. And, you mm-hmm. know, from the first century on, um, in my PhD, I have about 300 of them. And you need to wow. ask, yeah, <laughs> And a good question is why, right? Because we may be living in a somewhat secular world, but definitely in the Middle Ages, everybody were religious. So who are they trying to prove that God exists to? And there are ways to think about it, and people would say maybe these arguments are just ways to think about God or ways to uh, look at the world and see that God is present in, in the world. Um, but I have my own theory that I give, and I think that these arguments are meant to show that God is compatible, that God fits in with a system of science. So you, what you're really saying is, my science um, that might be might be uh, looking threatening to religion, actually it can prove that God exists, so I can have both of them, I can be both a scientist, or a philosopher and a religious person. And that you could still do today because um, our science, as I said, it doesn't teach us about many things and it has uh, many answers that it can't give us. And modern arguments for the existence of God would be looking exactly for these places. Um, So for example, uh, we might be looking at the Big Bang Theory and say, yes, as a scientist, I believe that happened. Mm-hmm. But that would still need a cause, right? Because things don't just happen out of nowhere. So it would need a cause. So that might be the scientific explanation, but I'm still looking for uh, a religious or a philosophical explanation for why it happens and this kind of why science doesn't give us. So that would be a modern argument for the existence of God. Interesting. So, you know, your work covers the medieval period, you know, from Latin, Hebrew and Arabic backgrounds. Uh, This period ranging from 500 CE to 1500 CE, uh, you know, was what is known as the golden era of Islam in relation to developments in philosophy and empirical sciences. So can you please share us with some of the main contributions in this field uh, during this period? Yeah, um, so as you say, uh, we call it uh, the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, uh, and that's a very Europe-centric um, uh, definition because mm-hmm. in Europe, really, in the in the Christian world, not a lot was happening in terms of philosophy and science. Yeah. Um, but in the Arabic world, um, from the 8th century and on, they receive a lot of classical texts. And um, in this text, there are a lot of theories of um, nature and science and how the world works and mathematics and biology. And they have their own theories of grammar in, in the Muslim world. 
and they really take to it and they get really excited by it and we have centuries of circles of scholars and madrasas and schools of people working on these sciences and they advance them uh, in a huge way and we really are talking about uh, almost all the sciences um, so we wouldn't have chemistry but we're talking about um, physics and biology and medicine and mathematics and optics too and it's a very scientific society at this point um, and we're looking at things like the beginning of experimental science with um, even a Haitan in the 11th century and um, even Sina with his uh, enormous contributions to medicine. And I also suggest that uh, another place that we don't often look at, but we should be, is um, the Muslim theologian, the Mutakalimun, who had this very radical theory of nature, and they were atomists, so they believed in atoms, like we do today, uh, where the rest of the world didn't. And their theory, while being very radical, I think influenced a lot the later history of global science, and we don't give them enough credit for it. Mm. No. So really, in all areas um, of science, all areas that existed then, the, the Muslim world was you know, uh, worlds and worlds and worlds ahead of the rest the Latin world definitely amazing I think um, you know uh, we just had about the golden age of Islam it's, it's very interesting and uh, I believe we, we need to have like a whole segment of that where maybe we can invite you again where we can discuss certain things certain um, things which they have do, um, made f uh, for us um, Sue just one question uh, about your teasers uh, yeah. Is it possible to read your thesis? Because I'm very interested in, in reading the 300 arguments as well. Um, it is not yet possible. Uh, hopefully it will be coming out soon. Um, but I will uh, definitely love to come back and maybe by then it will be possible. Yeah, that's that would be great because I would love to read that as well. And yes, thank you for agreeing to coming back as well because I would love to have a show about the golden age of Islam as well and to learn more about that as well. So... Thank you, but thank you right now for joining uh, today, and I wish you all the best for um, uh, the future for your teasers as well. And uh, hopefully, yes, hopefully we can have you again on the breakfast show. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you. Welcome. Interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the way she has explained it has made things easy for me to understand as well. I don't know how you guys feel, but this is basically uh, when he explained from the modern age as well about the existence of God. Yeah. It, it is a basically very, um, I mean, interesting and very easy to understand this certain thing as well. Um, and as I said, I'm very interested to listen to these arguments as well. But, you know, also, one point she has said about the golden age of Islam that all those developments which were made, unfortunately, you know, these people, um, they are not, highly praised for that unfortunately or they might be have before forgotten as well because just just focus on math uh, she talk about math as well that it played a big role in the golden age of islam as well and uh, because of math we have school as well now every uh, student will say oh why but <laughs> this is something very important <laughs> for us and this is how we developed and this is how we basically uh, prospered as well uh, it's interesting i love maths 
Uh, yeah, you, you're sure you you love everything what I don't like. No <laughs> joke. <laughs> um, maybe that's why it's a good combination. Yeah, maybe that's why you might call us. No, um, but you know, um, uh, talking about the other thing is that there are a lot of people that are going away from religion. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know that as well. Why is this happening? Um, that people are basically becoming atheists or ba- basically, uh, yeah, basically they just don't want to be a part of the religion anymore. And because I know like 100 years ago it would be very important, but now it, it is not. I, I, this is one thing I want to have from you, but before yeah. we do so, dear listeners, um, we will come to our last guest of the show, This is which is Dr. Abdulhaq Kompir, who is an MD and is a uh, psychiatrist, graphic designer and author. And the listeners he converted to the Ahmadi Muslim community 22 years ago at the age of 26. And he published about contribution of Islam to European civilization at Cambridge and Exeter University and was recently interviewed about these on the Rational Religion show. Now, his recent publications are a children's book on the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, and a new biography about the Prophet Muhammad the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Dr. Abdul Haq, Good morning and welcome to the Big Show. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, thank you for having me. No, I'm I'm, I'm very glad to have you with us. Um, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about the need of religion, and uh, I would just ask ask him that a lot of people who are basically getting away from religion, but you are someone who converted to to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, can you please explain us, or can you tell us about uh, what your journey, about your personal religious journey? Yes, sure. So, um, well, I was uh, raised uh, without any religion. Uh, so, um, I was raised in a situation that apparently people are looking for now. Okay. But, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I was raised just with uh, some good values, like being uh, honest and being good to people and to uh, to nature and all that. And... Uh, but otherwise, the, there was no real philosophy of life except that you have to make the best of it, that you have to uh, enjoy life. And uh, I think I took this, uh, this existential uh, default conclusion just to its, uh, to its, uh, to its end by uh, wanting to move to another country uh, I wanted to move to Australia because I enjoyed to do surfing and I uh, liked the, the nice weather. Mm. And uh, so I was thinking to uh, lead the perfect life in Australia. Uh, so I moved all the way there and uh, when I was about uh, 21. Um, and of course, this is quite a difficult undertaking I, and I completely underestimated how difficult that is. But... Um, but so the what happened was that even though I was uh, leading the life I uh, was uh, thinking about, uh, still it didn't make me happy. And uh, this really uh, shook me. Uh, this really made me very restless and, uh, uh, and made me uh, quite confused because apparently, you know, this kind of view on life that I was brought up with uh, didn't work out and uh, so that is when I look back that is when I started to look for something else that uh, life should be about 
and uh, it wasn't always a conscious search so it was more like a restlessness in me that that was looking for something but uh, uh, during this uh, during this search I uh, came across different uh, things and different things I read and different experiences and uh, which lead me ultimately to uh, to Ahmadiyyat mm-hmm. and I don't know if I should elaborate further on this how much time I have uh, you got plenty of time right okay so <clears throat> I'll just uh, I, I can just tell maybe a few examples of mm-hmm. the things sure. that I came across uh, for example Uh, I was studying, I went back to Holland, I was studying at the university and a fellow student told me that uh, apparently you are looking for something in life and you should read this book. Um, and this was a, a kind of a philosophical book uh, which was a bestseller in the 70s. It's called uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And uh, But I forgot about this advice uh, for a while and then I... Uh, I went on with my life, but when I was all the way in the UK at another occasion, I walked into a house uh, of a friend, and um, <clears throat> on the other side of the room, there was this bookcase with a lot of books, mm-hmm. and it was all the way, it was meters away, so I don't think you could actually easily read the back uh, text at the back of the books. But still, this book that was advised me before, it was just like as if it came out of the bookcase towards me with a kind of glow around it and uh, so this really struck me and then I remembered this advice that was given me and uh, then I asked to borrow this book <clears throat> and uh, so this uh, so I read this book and this book uh, was a philosophical uh, argument about that there must be a a unified force in the universe which is the source of uh, goodness and beauty and uh, creation. And for me, this was a reason to believe in God, although this book didn't uh, didn't uh, draw this conclusion. But for me, it was clear that this must be, you know, what religions talk about as God. So uh, for me, this was uh, a reason to believe in God, and I was so happy that I found that, and this may be good for the context of your program, because that I was so happy to have found hmm. God, whereas apparently people want to move away from it. But um, for me, it was really uh, so great to have found it, because uh, <clears throat> it gives... Um, It gives also a sense of being connected to the universe and being uh, being part of something bigger um, and to be able to connect to, you know, something larger than, than yourself. And uh, so this, this for me was, uh, made me so happy and uh, I, in my own way, I tried to start praying and... Um, Only one thing I couldn't understand was that in, in religions it appears that God is speaking and I believe in God as a kind of energy <clears throat> and I didn't understand how God then could speak. But uh, at that moment when I was thinking about that, I once um, w- walked into 
a, a small restaurant in Rotterdam where I was living. And uh, in this restaurant, I experienced uh, as if some light was there. And uh, in the end, uh, this restaurant was owned by an Ahmadi family, which then I came in contact with and started talking to them. And I got some, of course, some answers to the questions that I had in my mind about uh, Allah, mm. about God. And uh, so this was a kind of, uh, you know, two two experiences on this way that led me to uh, Ahmadiyyat. No, amazing. It is amazing because it's very faith-inspiring as well to listen to this convert story. Awesome. Do you agree with me? Absolutely. It's an amazing journey which he had. So, uh, Dr. Abdul Haq, um, uh, you know, as an MD Muslim, how would you answer the accusation that basically religion and science oppose each other, hence making religion, you know, backwards and traditional? Yeah, so I think... Uh, uh, you know, I thought about this question because, uh, of course, your uh, your editor sent me this question to think about. And I think my my first thing I would say about it is that this is actually primarily a problem of Christianity. Because, uh, because Christianity is uh, has been taking religion so literally that it was just at some point impossible to reconcile it with uh, their scientific uh, discoveries. For example, um, the, uh, the Christianity had to take literally the fact that, uh, that Adam and Eve were the first persons uh, created by God, so the first human beings, because they had to believe in this original sin that had to come from Adam and Eve. So if, if Adam and Eve were not the first people, then this whole idea of original sin would not exist. And the whole reason for believing in Jesus, according to Christianity, would also disappear. Mm. So this was incredibly difficult for them to reconcile. And uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the idea that, that life evolved um, in stages, this was actually something that was commonly held in uh, in Islamic uh, science and Islamic philosophy uh, and so in that time when when evolution was discussed they actually called evolution a Mohammedan theory so it was it was a derogatory term for the theory of evolution that it was a Mohammedan theory so here you can also see that how Christianity has struggled with uh, reconciling science and religion, but that uh, the fact that they uh, that evolution was accepted in the Islamic world uh, also illustrates how Islam was different in this. So when Islam was flourishing, science was also flourishing, and what, when Christianity was had a lot of power, then science was not flourishing. So. I would say, the first thing I would say about it is that it is primarily a Christian problem. And of course, uh, in the Muslim world now, there is also, uh, science is, is not as it should be. But I don't think this is a problem of, of the religion. I think it is probably the biggest problem in the Muslim world is what I think, uh, what I read somewhere, what I agree with is that the connection between the, uh, the religious scholars and politics 
and uh, if this connection is too uh, gains too much power then it uh, restricts a lot of things among which is uh, uh, science uh, the scientific development interesting so uh, dr abdulhak um my last question for me is that uh, what advice do you suggest to people who are you know unsure about religion um, based on your you know on your own experiences uh so people who are unsure about religion yes um yeah so you know a religion is uh, is something that is uh, innate in every human being that's also a beautiful philosophy in islam Mm. that uh, humanity is created with a with a nature which is called fitra in arabic and in this nature we have a longing for god and every human being has this um only at the moment religion is so much um uh, so much in a negative light that people don't look into religion to uh, satisfy this uh, longing that they have inside for to connect with something bigger than themselves um but so if you read the uh, the books of uh, the promised messiah al islam if you read about the uh, life of the holy prophet and if you read the quran then you can feel that this is really uh, connecting to your own nature that is longing for something uh bigger than yourself and uh, i think uh, we should um maybe my advice is to accept that we all have this longing inside of us and uh, just that we go on our own journey uh towards god but uh, but we should understand that god has really uh, sent these messengers to mm. uh, fulfill this need in us in ourselves amazing uh, dr bulhak uh listening to you uh, it was a pleasure really really pleasure uh i wish you all the best for your journey um dr abdul haq um of course um you you have converted to islam ahmediyat um you, uh, any advices to people who are looking for religion why they should convert to ahmediyat muslim to the ahmediyat muslim community uh yeah so i think uh, that when you're looking for for uh, something Uh, like uh, when you're looking for god then you want god also to communicate with you mm. and i think the ahmadiyya ahmadiyya muslim community is uh, the community that focuses the most on that god is personally has a relationship with you that he is personally communicating with you and these all these experiences you can find them in the ahmadiyya muslim community so many people in this community have these experiences so uh, that is the the best reason i think to uh to look into the amdia community uh, i agree with you uh dr bulhak and i'm sure the listeners have listened to your advice as well um i wish you all the best for the future i wish you uh, and uh, i w- wish that allah be, uh, bless you and your family as well uh thank you for joining the breakfast show thank you so much for having me thank you assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh waalaikum assalam In- interesting i mean yeah absolutely amazing point which he had actually mentioned especially the last one that you need a god who communicates with you and listens to you and i mean we both can agree that you ask god you know and he and gives he, he, and he gives and he, he in his in his timely manner 
whenever he wants, but he gives it. And and you know he he, he talks to you as well. Like he, he said it because we believe that there are a lot of even in the Islamic the African community, Islamic communities, who say that God has stopped talking to people. But we say no. This is the best way that he communicates with us because yep. we need guidance, and he is the only mm-hmm. one who can provide guidance as well. Uh, and uh, again, you know, um, I, I always say that uh, it is like the servant goes goes to the king and he asks for something, and the king's in reward. He just asks for another thing as well. He says, "Okay, you asking me for something? I'm ready to give it to you. But the only thing I want from you is that you should remember me as well." You should come often to my place. You should come often to ask me. You should often remember me. It is very easy to understand. Like for example, Asana. You know the story of Romeo and Juliet, right? Two people in love, right? And now just imagine um, Romeo sitting, for example, in Venetic, and Juliet is sitting in uh, uh, Rome. And how um, um, amazing would it be for her that she would know that my beloved Romeo is remembering me? <laughs> she would be very happy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the same thing is that uh, Romeo would be very happy knowing that Juliet is remembering him as well. So this is the connection with us and Allah, God as well, because God loves us very much, and He will be thrilled and will be happy to know that we are remembering Him as well, because this is the love. We have the relationship we have with God, and this is the relationship we need to increase as well. Uh, dear listeners, um, we have one audio clip prepared for you as well. So do me a favor, do enjoy this clip, and we we will be back after that clip. In uh, today on the mosque, and I have uh, uh, had a, a discussion with some people of your group, and um, I've talked with them and that uh, and said um, that I am. Uh, believing from out myself and not from uh, by a church in Holland or something. Yes. Like that. Um, and they said to me that I am still looking uh, in my life for a, a, a part of believing. Uh, and I, my question is, what what have I think about it when I'm uh, happy with my job, with my wife, with my life, and something about that? Yes, I'll explain it. I do. You don't have the need to. Look outside for something else. Yes. That's right, yes. You see, if everybody else were like you, then perhaps there will be no religion left in the world. Everybody would be satisfied within him. But that satisfaction will also make him independent in the sense that he would never have to contemplate on why, whether he was created by another being, whether he owes something to a creator or not, what is the end of life? What is the direction? What is the purpose? Yes, he, him, he will become a purpose in himself. He will become his own creator and self-centered. While if he had extended his, if not he can't extend himself into the future, he should have at least extended him backwards into the past and realized that billions of years of evolution in uh, in animate uh, substances as well as in life have got a direction and a purpose without even a single faltering of step it has pursued the same goal for billions of years to create greater consciousness <laughs> 
into things which could not think before. That consciousness makes one realize outside the boundaries of his limited body and go beyond. That consciousness, consciousness gives meaning to love and sacrifice which otherwise do not mean anything in physics and chemistry or any such thing. In early life, in the earliest animal life, there is no such thing as sacrifice, love, regard for what people think of you and so on. But you are being carried along a path of greater and wider realization of things. You care for what people think, otherwise materially it doesn't mean anything. If I think somebody to be an owl, what does it matter? If I think somebody to be an angel, what does it matter? To him, materially it shouldn't make any difference. But one attitude, just a mental attitude, can, life, can make life miserable for him. If somebody is neglected in a family, a child, Psychologically, sometimes he is so deeply injured that he becomes a madman, ends up a criminal, commits suicide or murders. Because of that reality of neglect in the early part of his childhood. Why is it so important? It has no meaning. If you study the matter just materially, in the terms of physics and chemistry and uh, that matter, and in the term and early stages of life, it doesn't mean anything, but it has become so important. Because God has created you, it is only because of that. Because without this consciousness, you could not even conceive of a God and a reality beyond you. And because then you would not even think of a, a direction for and a purpose for your life. So, being self-centered in happiness is all right for you, but in a very limited sense. What when you die? Will it end up here? This is the question. Was all that went into creation of you as a perfect being, with a system of eyes, with a very complicated coordination of many parts, which could not have developed by chance, why was that so? So then you'll be losing your purpose. Interesting, dear listeners. Um, this is, we have reached the end of the show. I just want to say one thing. Uh, we had Dr. Abdul Haq and he talked about the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He talked about the, uh, the, uh, the reason maybe to to convert or to be a part of the Ahmadiyya community is because we believe that God still talks. And the beliefs come because the Prophet the founder of this community, he has explained us these things. And you know, uh, the concept uh, associated with various religion tradition, the, the coming of the reformer, if, and also particularly in Islam, is that he was prophesied many, many scriptures as well. And we have these prophecies as well. If you want to look into it, you can go on alislam.org. And uh, again, thank you, dear listeners, for listening today. Uh, Spray first show. If you want to listen to it again, you can do so on SoundCloud, or you can stay in tune with the Voice of Islam radio, or you can turn in tomorrow in the same time. Um, thank you for Saleh Ahmed, who was the producer of the shows, and Sabeja, Sophia Nishin, and Ahmed, uh, the researchers of the show, also our technical friend uh, Akib. And Asim, thank you to you as well. Thank um, you very much. Dear listeners, I wish you all the best and a pleasant weekend ahead as well. May the peace and blessing of Allah be with you all.